We have a full house today. Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and gracing our presence, Steve Moore, Freedom Works, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and the author of Govzilla. So, kids, welcome. Liz Peek, I begin with you. So let's review the bidding. Uh, OPEC Plus kicked us, uh, kicked Biden in the teeth and uh, took 2 million barrels a day off the market to jack up prices. Prices are rising again, both for oil <clears throat> and gas. And here's where I'm going, Liz. I just wanted to get your take on this. So the Biden response here with the shortage of oil and so forth, uh, wait a minute, hold on, let's block all offshore drilling that's point number one. And number two, let's ban refinery exports. Now, that's a way to really get at the Saudis, isn't it? <laughs> it's really almost unimaginable, isn't it? Uh, I mean, all this is so basically tragic for the American people. And by the way, really bad news for Joe Biden and the White House. I thought you were going to say their response was, sue OPEC. Can you even <laughs> oh, imagine yeah. no, that, that that is the other response? I'm Larry, getting let's to talk that. about a court <laughs> hearing where presumably OPEC comes in and says, well, wait a minute, Mr. President. It was just, you know, a year ago that America was a net energy exporter for the first time in 60 years. And the EIA, by the way, was projecting that to go on pretty much indefinitely. What happened to that forecast? Why are you now a net energy importer? I mean, honestly, I I can't get my head around the stupidity of their response on energy policy from beginning to end. And the fact that they haven't pivoted, even as this obviously is a, a development that could torch Democrats in the midterm elections, it's beyond me. I, I mean, their, their fixation on climate change and on completely improbable and impossible climate goals is going to ruin their party, and they don't care. I, by the way, Liz I, I, Liz, I think I have an explanation for Liz on this. And, <laughs> and you know, I, by the way, I agree with everything you just said. But I, I think I, I honestly believe that it's it's um, it's almost a religious um, kind of penance. That America has to pay. This this is truly the way some of these climate change fanatics think that, you know, we're responsible for the last 50 years of industrialization. We've put all of this, quote, pollution in the air. So we have to suffer. You said, now, I'm, by the way, I'm not making this. This is truly the way a lot of these people think, you know, so, you know, China shouldn't suffer, even though they put five times more pollution in there than we do. Um, and it's a kind of anti-industrialization viewpoint. And what really surprised me, Larry, is how it's swept through the entire Democrat. It's a, it's a lunatic idea, right? And yet, <laughs> where there's no opposition to it. I mean, and let me make one other point. If you actually believe that climate change is going to you know, destroy the planet, I'm not there, but many people do. Even if you believe that, what they're doing is actually counterproductive because the United States has the cleanest oil, coal, and yeah. natural gas. So if you if you actually we're still consuming oil and gas, it's just a question of whether we get it from Texas, uh, from Oklahoma or North Dakota and Alaska, or whether we get it from countries like Iran, Venezuela and Russia. And Larry, do you think that those countries have good environmental standards? I yeah. think the key word here from Liz, and I used it in my own <laughs> on the show, is stupid. Yeah. Okay, that's really <laughs> yeah. a key word. It, it's it's not a policy debate. 
It's not an empirical issue. It's not a quarrel over the facts, you know, like we heard Phil Graham the other night. Right. It's yeah. just stupidity, okay? Mm-hmm. Rank stupidity. Now, the other word that comes to mind, and you kind of got to this, is Stone Age. <laughs> Let's go back to the yeah, Stone right. Age because, really, they'd rather destroy capitalism, I think. Before the planet goes down, they want to make sure that capitalism goes down. Now, yeah. I want to ask another clever response, okay? Locking <laughs> offshore drilling, banning refinery exports, of course, all the things that they've already done, no permitting for domestic and so forth and so on, no pipelining. How about going to our very dear friend, the democracy-loving government leaders of Venezuela? Yeah. Now, that yeah. strikes yeah. me as a brilliant response to OPEC. And, <laughs> Only exceeded, I'll be done in a moment, only exceeded by the brilliance of going back to Iran, another democracy-loving, dear American ally. Okay, that's what their policy is right now. Iran, Venezuela, oh, and I neglected to mention they're going to destroy Spro, which might give us another Arab oil embargo someplace down the road. All right? So go ahead, Liz. Take take it from there. No, I, I, I mean, I think for all the reasons that all of us can imagine, it, this is just the worst geopolitical assessment ever in the history of an American presidency. I really believe that. For example, again, in going after Saudi Arabia and OPEC, what is the alternative? The alternative is Iran. Do Are we really going to basically throw down uh, our, our chips with Iran as our sort of uh, ally in the Middle East, in, in <laughs> as opposed to Saudi Arabia and the Gulf countries, which basically has been a buttress to a really malign influence, which is Iran. Mm. It's inconceivable. Steve is right, by the way, in talking about Venezuela, which honestly made my head explode. I think the only well, I was, I, let me back up. But Venezuela has to be the dirtiest oil production in the entire universe. Yep. So, I mean, yes, it's a it's a completely idiotic thing. I think the good news, Larry, and I, I actually believe this, particularly after the Venezuela announcement was sort of lofted, uh, I think the American people are really on to this. Mm-hmm. And I, I do right. believe that the polling on this, actually, for over a year, people have blamed Biden for inflation and for higher gasoline prices. That has got to be even more so now as they see his stubbornness in addressing this and his humiliation by OPEC. Uh, I really do think people kind of get it uh, that this is not working and it's totally self-inflicted. The cavalry is coming, Liz. Yeah, the cavalry I do think so. is coming. They just got some reinforcements by some of the stupidest policy statements I've ever seen. I mean, here, Steve Moore. So they're in the White House. So the day after uh, OPEC uh, takes a couple million barrels off the off the market, the National Economic Council and the National Security Council issue a statement saying the solution is to um, reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. Yeah. All right, now that's very clever. So let me get this right. <laughs> let me get it's uh, okay to produce oil and gas and fossils anywhere in the world. Okay, Iran, Venezuela, we've mentioned China, we've mentioned etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but it's not okay to produce here. Now I thought we were in favor of onshoring. And bringing supply chain. Yeah, no, good point. N- made in America. Not, right. not made in America, except fossil fuels, which just happens right. to finance roughly 75% of our power and electricity. <sighs> All right. So this is 
really in the NSC and the NEC both put out this joint statement on that point. So let me add that. We are no production here at home, uh, no production offshore, and no exports of refineries. So that's terrific. This is our response to the Saudi slap in the face, which, by the way, as you know, Steve Moore, helps Russia finance the Ukraine war, right? At $100 Brent, they have more money to spend than they do at $80 of Brent crude. So there we have it. This is a brilliant strategy. Yeah, I mean, I would just add one or two quick things to what uh, you and Liz have been saying. One is it's unpatriotic. It's unpatriotic. It's anti-American that we're not producing our oil Mm. and we're getting it from our enemies. Um, The second point I want to make is something you guys just alluded to. You know, the left talks all the time about human rights, and we all care about human rights. If you care about human rights, why would you want to give money to Venezuela? Why would you want to give money to Iran? If you care about women's rights, these are the countries that have the worst human rights violations on the planet. I mean, it is so hypocritical in every way. Uh, And one other quick point. Again, I want to say this again, Larry, and I'm asking you, where are the sensible Democrats speaking out about this? I mean, none of them are breaking ranks with a crazy... Uh, you know, energy policy that will do great damage in every way. You know where they are? They're they're in losing Senate races. <laughs> yeah, right. Boy, are they distancing them. That's the other big story, Larry, about how these Senate candidates all over the country are sprinting away from Biden. Biden, Joe Biden, I don't even know who he is. Liz, yeah. Liz, didn't you and I, we first met years ago, weren't you an energy analyst or an energy yeah. banker or something? I covered the oil field services industry, but that really meant uh, covering the energy industry yeah. for, for a long time, 20 so, years. Yeah. So you'll recall, I mean, the Arab oil embargo and then subsequent meetings of OPEC were like so important because they wrecked our economy, certainly in yeah. the 70s. That's why SPRO was started in the first place. Um, and we used to have high drama. You remember every meeting days before and days after how is OPEC going to screw us this time? So one point I want to make here, and I, I made it at the very top of the show with Senator John Hoven of North Dakota, who's a very smart man, by the way, been in the game a while. We have given our energy power back to Saudi and OPEC. We yeah. had the dominance. We had the power. Now we've just given it back to them, which kind of puts us back into the 70s, Liz Peak. That's yeah. what I'm thinking here. Well, in fact, that is why we developed a strategic petroleum reserve, which we're now spending for political reasons, I think you could argue. But you're totally right. What what people don't get is it's a very thin margin, right, between being dependent on OPEC or, or not. All it is is like a one or two million barrel a day right. margin, yep. typically. And Biden has offset the shortfall from Russia and the problems by releasing a million barrels a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which, by the way, was oil bought at around $28 a barrel. So it's going to be very interesting to see the price for replacing all that oil. But eventually he's going to have to stop doing that. I'm sure you guys both noted that that million barrel a day uh, withdrawal is going to continue through the end of November, surprisingly, right through the election, so that we don't have a big shortfall all of a sudden that makes this two million barrel cut from Saudi Arabia and OPEC even that more consequential. But the point is completely well put. I think Steve and his colleagues did a, a study, which, uh-huh. by the yep. way, goes back to what the estimates were at the time 
that uh, we should be producing 13, 14, maybe 15 million barrels of oil a day right now instead of 12, that yep. two or three million barrel difference is more than enough mm-hmm. to basically put OPEC out of commission in that's terms right. of the regulator of global prices, which is what they are now. By the way, Steve, that's what the Energy Information Agency said that's back right. in early wow. 2020. So we're at 11, we're at, I don't know, um, we're around 12 million barrels now, 11, 8, something like that. Uh, we should have been at 14 million barrels a day in 2022 on the way to 15 in 2024. That was the Energy Department's thing. You know, that's an and, and, independent yeah. agency. And yeah, we're and not. The, and which, yeah, so that was the study that Casey, your buddy Casey yeah. Mulligan did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the thing, though, that that was based on the prices at that time, which were about $70 a barrel. Mm-hmm. So we're at $100, a, or closing in on $100 a barrel. That, we would be producing even more energy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. If you if mm-hmm. you go up to because every additional dollar the price goes up, obviously is more profit for for the incentive for the companies to produce. So we'd be at least three million barrels mm-hmm. higher per day, uh, which and and Liz is right. It w- that would c- completely counteract what OPEC is trying to do. And by the way, I don't even remember during the entire, virtually the entire Trump presidency, even rem- we didn't care about those OPEC meetings with no. the Nigerian. No, they, that's they, right. With the Assadis. I mean, they, no, right. had no power because the number one producer of oil and gas at that time was the United States. It's good to have a cartel when the biggest producer isn't part of it. I remember, uh, that's such an important point. Um, sitting in NSC meetings, I remember we're talking about, you know, disengaging from Iran, toughening the sanctions on Iran. And all these CIA types are telling us, oh, no, oh, no. What if they, you know, we're going to lose oil. And I would sit there and go, what are you talking about? We're, we out, we're out producing everybody. We run the oil market. We are completely dominant. Don't even. I said, whatever, whatever the spooks think about, don't forget the oil because oil is not a factor anymore. Um, you know, I had the odd view that the. Treasury Department, which is a very important federal agency, was, you know, their main mission was uh, protect the nation's finances, taxes, budgets, the currency, international uh, international uh, investment, and so forth. But I was wrong because we're reading this past week, uh, Janet Yellen gleefully announcing the formation of a 25-member committee called the Treasury Advisory Committee on Racial Equity, which will identify, monitor, and review aspects of the domestic economy, quote, that have directly and indirectly resulted in unfavorable conditions for communities of color. And the vice chair of this committee is one Felicia Wong, who was the president and CEO of the left-wing Roosevelt Institute, uh, who's going to be there. And she has argued that um, the principal issue with the American economy is racial injustice. That's the number one issue. And by the way, has a long history of defunding the police. Okay. She was the head of the Democracy Alliance and then Roosevelt. Now, um, I want to generalize, Liz. I'll begin with you on this, but we're seeing this ESG racial justice. I call them commissars, Soviet-style commissars, pop up in all the agencies. This is not a new thing. We saw this with the controller of the currency. Uh, More recently, the ESG lady who went to college in China, 
the control of the currency. The original idea was the one that went to college in Russia. Um, these are not a, these are not uh, they're not authorized. They're not appropriated. There's no congressional laws about this, but they're popping up all over the government. And uh, I also want to say, finally, that if you have a strong pro-growth economy, meaning limited government, limited taxes, limited regulations and a steady dollar, all of which come under the purview of the Treasury Department, that is the best thing we could do for racial justice, lower poverty, less inequality, higher wages. That's the best thing we can do, not have these uh, Soviet-style commissar committees. All right? That's my take, Liz Peek. It's all well, yours. I, I, I think that's totally right. And unfortunately, all these uh, – the imposition of racial equity as a guiding principle for every agency, whether it's the military mm. or NASA or – the Treasury or the Federal Reserve, anybody. I mean, unfortunately, Federal Reserve isn't an agency. I get that. Um, every part of the government has been given this mandate. And to my mind, it, it really becomes like bobblehead dolls kind of bobbing along in, in sympathy and, and so forth. If you read the bills that have been passed, Larry, mm-hmm. every single one has – uh, a standard line about how this is going to particularly be award, money will be awarded to blah blah blah, and the problem is I think people are are becoming insensitized to it. I mean, no one is even paying attention to it anymore. It where's the proof that any of this does us any good, mm-hmm. or more importantly, does the communities that they care about any good? There are things that the government could do to improve racial disparities which, for example, starts with education. But they won't even touch education because heaven knows uh, that's under the complete thrall of the, of the uh, teachers' unions, big Democrat donors, obviously, uh, and so they can't go there. But other than that, what is it supposed to mean? Are you just going to give money racially uh, for, uh, based on racial data? We've seen how that works in, for example, the housing bubble, where Fannie Mae uh, was instructed to lend to mm-hmm. black owners and mm-hmm. buyers, w- regardless of their financial wherewithal. Well, you know what? It doesn't work. I mean, unfortunately, uh, that helped contribute to the worst uh, housing disaster in our country's history and set back black ownership of homes a, a substantial amount. I mean, I th- you know, this doesn't I don't think the American people believe in equity. I certainly don't believe in equity, which is basically assuring everyone of the same outcome. Mm-hmm. What we want to strive for is opportunity, and that mm-hmm. goes back, in my mind, to education. Education choice is crucial. Um, yep. Steve Moore, the other part of this is it detracts uh, from a uh, pro-market, pro-supply-side, pro-growth economic policy. In other words, these committees that they're setting up, these racial equity committees – And Liz is right, by the way, all the prior legislation had whole sections in there, including including, by the way, uh, 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 tax credits for renewables and so forth about racial equity. Kamala Harris talked about racial equity in helping uh, in helping rebuild the hurricane damage in Florida, which fortunately was contradicted by the FEMA agency. But Steve, it detracts. This is an administration that would rather look through the lens of so-called racial equity and equity in general uh, rather than the lens of economic growth. And that's where I see the biggest problem is. And the Treasury, where Janet Yellen has made her own statements this past week defending it, that's a problem, a big problem. Steve, do we lose you? 
right. I think we must have. Maybe we lost him. But I'll put yeah. it. I'll put it back to you, Liz. In other words, the emphasis is on, as you put it, the guiding principle of racial equity. Look, there's nothing wrong. Uh, all right, Steve Moore, uh, are you back? Did you hear the question sorry, I asked? Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. I was muted. Um, oh. But I heard everything that you said. And I, I think it's ironic that what's the name of this woman? Something Wong or something like that? Uh, yes, her, her name is Felicia Wong. Wow. Okay, so that's an Asian surname. <laughs> and what's yes. really interesting about this whole debate about racial inequity is the group that is has much, much, much higher incomes than whites in America is what, yeah. what ethnic group? Asian. Asians. So yes. all of the Asians, when they keep talking about stuff, because this is inevitably going to lead back to affirmative action, mm-hmm. racial quotas and things like that. And the, who are the people who are hurt most by those policies? Not whites, Larry. It's, it's Asians who are. We've got to make sure that Asians are voting. Eighty percent of Asians should be voting Republican because the victims of all this are high achieving Asians. And so that's point number one. Point number two. I have to read through a lot of these bills that, you know, Biden and the Congress come up with. Um, and sometimes they're 600 pages. And I'm not exaggerating, Larry. Every other paragraph of yeah. these bills has is about one of three things. Climate change, racism or income inequality. Yes, that's they don't right. Talk about, they that's don't right. talk about growth. No they growth. They don't talk about prosperity. It's all about income inequality. By that's the way, it, it's not a cliche. Under the Reagan and Trump tax cuts... Poverty fell. Poverty fell during those growth periods. Anyway, Liz Peak, many thanks. Steve Moore, many thanks. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.